God, we praise you this morning uh, that no matter where each of us finds ourselves today in, in, the, in the valley or on top of the mountain, uh, that your love um, is, is, uh, is burning for us, is desiring after us, you're, you're seeking after us. And uh, what a great promise and a hope that your love is unfailing and uh, you hold on to us. We thank you for that today. God, as we open your word and look in uh, Exodus chapter 4, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive from your word and your spirit and your servant uh, what, uh, what you have for us today. Uh, use it to change us and so that we can live uh, out the gospel and live out the Christian life uh, before a dying world. And uh, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, you can be seated. Well, grab your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4. We're going to kind of have a little reduced time in the scriptures today, just because uh, with the family chat and the time that uh, we wanted to devote to that. Exodus chapter 4. By the way, I forgot to mention, if you really are seriously considering the Israel trip, go to www.walkintheword.com backslash Israel walkintheword.com backslash Israel, and you'll find out more about that and what it's about. Well, so far we have uh, gone through Exodus. We've seen in chapter 1 the Israelites located in the region of Goshen in Egypt. Um, the Israelites have grown into a nation, and a nation in misery. Uh, following that in chapter 2, we've seen how God is bringing a deliverer to them out of the situation, and God sovereignly floats a little baby boy down a river and floats that little baby boy right into Pharaoh's household. Big God. And then we, uh, in chapter 2, find uh, Moses. He's about 40 years old, and he unloads some uh, justice. Maybe I would call it some self-justice on an Egyptian taskmaster, and the situation ends up resulting, and he's in a desert land called Midian, uh, quite a ways away, where he spends about the next 40 years there. Then in chapter 3, Moses is just minding his own business around the area of Mount Sinai with his flock, and God shows up in a very uh, special, unexpected way. God gives him a job, and at that job calling, Moses gives five pushbacks. He says, but who am I? But what shall I say? But they will not believe me. But I'm not eloquent. And then finally, I love the last one. God, please send someone else. <laughs> I can relate. What a mountaintop experience he had. And today we're going to join him down in the plains. Now, a little bit of this reminds me of when I was a kid and went to camp every year with my two older brothers. My parents would take us out to Eagle Lake, a camp out in Colorado, outside of Colorado Springs, up in the mountains, 9,600 foot altitude. It was right where God lived. And uh, I will tell you, year after year of doing that, um, that shaped me in significant ways. Without question, God used those two weeks of the mountaintop to have a huge impact in my life. The question was, is over the time was, is, was it about an annual meeting with God at the mountaintop? And then when I came back home, I came back home to the plains, the Midwest, if you will, where it was plain world. Still same family, same two older brothers that beat the tar out of me. The, the same problems, same friends, same situation, same oh, same oh, same oh. 
I wanted the mountaintop. It took me a number of years actually to figure out that the mountaintop was about living in the plains. In fact, the mountaintop was there to help drive me and encourage me and move me along to live out the plains. Two weeks on the mountaintop was all about the 351 days of the year. The 351 days were not about getting to the mountaintop. And we're going to see today, Moses comes down from the mountaintop, and let's see how he handles it. Let's see what he does. What does it look like to live the mountaintop in real life? That's where we're at. Well, let's find out what happens here, okay? Let's Exodus chapter 4, pick up verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, Moses goes back home, okay? He's headed, he's left Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. He's gone back to Meridian, Meridian, Meridian Street. And uh, listen, this is no short walk. This is a 150 to 200 mile trek with a flock. Now, I'm going to say 10 miles a day is quite a trip with a flock in a day. That's 15 days right there. A big part of this text is understanding, or at least understanding that the text doesn't necessarily go bam, 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 right away, day after day after day. It took him 15 plus days, maybe a month or more, to get back home. Back home. I wonder what he was thinking about that time. Every day where he begins heading back home. What's he thinking? Well, I'm telling you, is for me, I'm considering, I'm thinking through, I'm planning out, I'm kind of putting stuff together. All this stuff is taking place, and just what's happening here? But look, he goes back home, okay? Let's see what happens. And so Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, his father-in-law, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. What? I mean, like, if I just saw God, and God said, Doug do this, I'd be like going home to Karen's parents, love them to death, would go home to Karen's parents. Honestly, I'd be like going. (laughs) But it's interesting here in this text, he comes back and he asks his father-in-law, why? I think a big part of the reason is, is he's taking care of his responsibilities. I would say this, following God includes taking wise care of your responsibilities. Listen, he's been with his father-in-law for 40 years in a family business. I was in a family business mainly with my brother for 20 years. I have some personal understanding, I think, of what's gone on with this. And you don't just leave. Because you, you are leaving the business. They had a family business of flocks. And it just leaves. I think it's incredible that Moses goes back and he asks for permission. And then right after that, and Joseph said to Moses, go in peace. By the way, did you notice what he told him, why he wanted to go? It's kind of an interesting statement. Look at that. He, Moses says, to, please let me go back to see my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Nothing. We don't see anything about, I met God. Nothing about, I'm the deliverer. It's a very interesting statement that he makes to his father-in-law. Why? I don't quite know. It could have just been piety and prudence about the mission. Maybe he just wanted to go home and make sure his father-in-law, he doesn't come across like, it's all about me, dude. I am the big D deliverer. I don't quite know. Maybe he was concerned Jethro wouldn't believe him. We're not quite sure at this point where Jethro is at spiritually. Maybe as he didn't want to concern Jethro about the family going into danger. Hey, I'm going to go deliver 2 million people out of Egypt, and I'd like to take your daughter, my wife, and kid, grand, your grandkids. Is that okay? Huh? I don't know. But maybe he was concerned that word would get ahead of him. 
that he was coming. I don't know, but the fact is, is Moses respects his responsibilities before he sets out and does his God job, this special God job, I think is very interesting. Secondly, not only does he take care of responsibility, but I think we see some sensitivity to God's timetable here. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 19. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, so he's back in Midian, and he says, go back to Egypt for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. Now, one, I would love to have God, like, tell me when to go somewhere. That would just be cool in itself. And so this was a very unique thing. This is not normally what takes place, but this is what happened with Moses. Part of my question is this. When did God say this? Because as we read it, normally what we do is we look at this and we think, oh, he was at the mountain, he left, it took him about a day or two to get back home, he got home, he told Jethro that, he took a shower when he got home, uh, and, and then got ready for dinner, Jethro was there, he talked to Jethro, say, Jethro, I'd like to go see my brother, Jethro, that's fine, and so then that night, God says, hey, Moses, time to go. That's kind of when we read it, normally what we think, I don't think that's the case at all, and I'll explain why here in just a minute. In fact, I think there's a lot of time taking place here in this. And so Moses, in this point in time, God tells him to go. By the way, how encouraging is it that you know that you're about to go back to do this deed and the people that hated your guts and wanted to kill you are now dead. By the way, being a politician king back in that day was a short lifespan generally. I mean, Moses is 80 years old right now, right about thereabouts. And he's going back and everybody who had been uh, over him, if you will, in the politicians, they're all gone and they're all dead. I think there's just a sensitivity to some timetable here with it. Then he, uh, we see him. What does he do next? He steps out in faith. Verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons. There's two sons here, I think. Why is that a big deal? Because back in chapter 2, over to the left in your Bible, if you're right there, verse 22, it says that Zipporah gave birth to a son. They had one son, Gershom, and then there's the burning bush. Now there's plural sons. In Exodus 18, it tells us there are two sons, Gershom and Eleazar. Now, again, I, I just wanted to let you know, there's some debate on this, but I think what's taking place, and I'm going to leave it at that way, this is what I think was the timeline. I think what was happening here is that actually this second child, Eliezer, was not born until after the return from the burning bush. Well, but they're 40 years. Well, I'm just going to tell I don't have time to go through all the details. This is an incredibly cool passage to sit down and work through some of these things. So I don't want to get too sanctified with my imagination here. But in this process, I think what I understand is happening is is that a second child was just born. Now, was Gershom born just right before, uh, a short time before the burning bush? Was he born shortly after they got married, which would mean he would be in his 30s? I don't know. But it fits for what's about to come. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. Now, it wasn't like all of them are hauled on one donkey. Okay, poor donkey. It was like, you know, it's just saying they had him ride on a donkey and they went back to the land of Egypt. Man, way to go, Zipporah. Seriously. Your husband comes back. I'm, I would hope he tells her the story. And she's going to and taking the kids and they go back. And Moses, I love this at the end of verse 20. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Not only did he step out in faith, but I think here it's saying he stepped out in God's strength. Put it this way. When you go back at the burning bush, you see in the text that God says, Moses, cast down your staff. 
And I don't want to make a big deal out of a little deal, but I think this is a big deal. Because the staff has now become God's. That's what it says. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Listen, think about this. Of all the things that God could have given Moses to display physically his power and his being there in it, the staff has to be like the coolest thing for a shepherd to have. It's always there. It's physical. It's right there in his hand. And God has used that, helping Moses to understand that God's strength is right by his side. Every day, he's looking at that thing. Every step he's taken, the staff is there right with I want to tell you, the representation of that, God so rocks. It's just so cool in this, seriously. Of all that God could have given him a hat, or God could have given him you know, his, part of his clothing, but then that has to be washed here and there. And, but it's a staff. And the strength is right there in his hands. And I do want to make a jump to present day. Because I don't have a God staff. I wish I did. Wouldn't that be neat? You know, pss, pss, it would just be fun. But that wasn't the purpose. <laughs> but I will say this. We do have something available every day, all the time, right available to, in our hands. And I'm very serious about this. When Moses stepped out in faith, he was stepping out with the strength and the knowledge of God. And folks, when we are stepping out in life, when we're making decisions, when we're walking through life, what's driving us? What's the thing right next to us that's moving us in that direction? And I would say this, God says he wants us to have this right before us all the time guiding us. And if we're not in it, if we're not applying it, then there's no staff. It's not just something on the shelf that's kind of cool and every so often we bring it. That's why here at Harvest, listen, bring your Bibles. We're about this thing. This thing is about us. And this is the strength of God. Otherwise, we have no authority. But here is the word of God going with us, and I would call us that that's what our strength is. So here Moses comes along. He gets home. He cares for his responsibility. He waits on God's timetable, or God's timetable is falling. He steps out in faith, and he's stepped out with God's strength. And next, uh, he addresses or is prepared to address conflicts with others. Look at this. And the Lord said to Moses, I love this interaction, verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart. Okay, hold on here for a second, because this is a crazy statement. We'll read the rest of this here in just a second. So God and Moses are having a talk, and God is telling Moses, hey, when you go back, here's what's going to happen. When you go back, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. What? What? Not only is Pharaoh not going to listen to you, but I am hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now, I've got a big theological question here. Wait a second. What happened to the free choice? So does Pharaoh not have a free choice? Let's bring up a couple passages. Um, Okay. These out of Exodus, the top ones here, if you look at these, we're not going to take the time, but just a couple. All of these top ones here, Exodus 7, 3, but I, God, will harden Pharaoh's heart. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. For Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. Jump down to 14. And I, God, will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened his servant's heart. And God hardened the hearts of the Egyptians. Then I conclude that they had no choice in the matter. 
and God was setting them up, right? You with me? <laughs> you don't know if you say yes or no. Okay. <laughs> Chickens. Okay, here's the thing. But let's look at it, and we're going to, because part of this is, is listen, I, I've got to leave this quickly, but we're going to be coming back to this issue. You see? Now look at this last part, Exodus 7, 22. But the magicians of, the, of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them. Well, so did God harden him, and he did not listen. Well, that, let's go to the next one, eight fifteen. He, Pharaoh, hardened his heart, and he would not listen to them. Then the next one, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also. And then this last one. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased were here in the plagues, he sinned. Now, those of you who have some theological interest, take that one. I don't mean like you take that one. I mean, you take that one and think that through. Here is the thing. Uh, this is, God is saying, I am hardening Pharaoh's heart. And here it's clearly saying that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And not only that, the fact that the scriptures say Pharaoh sinned means that Pharaoh was accountable for his decision. Friends, it's this deal. If Pharaoh were here right here today, and we, wouldn't that be neat? We were able to ask him right here today, and we were saying, Pharaoh, who made those decisions? He'd look at it like, what are you talking about? I did. And he would be right. And then we ask God, hey God, who made those decisions? God would say, Pharaoh did, and I did too. Well, God, I can't quite reconcile that one. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. Isaiah 55, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Yeah, but Doug, I can't reconcile that one. I can't bring it together. Good. I can't either. But I am telling you what I am not going to do. I am not going to say that God did not do what the scripture says he did. And I am not going to say that Pharaoh was out of his accountability for it because the scriptures say that he was accountable for it. Free will predestination, the answer, yes. I'm very serious. From my perspective, I received Christ as my Savior. From God's perspective, I never would have made that choice had God not worked in me. That's a fun one, isn't it? We're going to come to that later. Oh, I've got to keep going. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that there's a purpose for that he will not let the people go. Isn't that interesting? Verse 22, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. By the way, back in those days, in the ancient days, firstborn son was the son of priv- was the child of privilege. It was a child of great blessing. That's just the way it worked. And so Israel is God's firstborn son, a nation of great blessing. And then it says, and I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, which is the nation of Israel, the Israelites, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Wouldn't that be neat if God says, hey, this is what I want for you to do. And by the way, this is what's going to happen. And here's how I want you to respond. I mean, Moses has a leg up here and God is being very good to him. And I go back to the burning bush when Moses says, I'm not eloquent, and they won't believe me. And God comes along and just says, it's all right, because I'm going to help you along, bud. Isn't that neat? I just, I just appreciate that. But here Moses is going to address conflicts from others. Okay, here's, the, here's another one I'd love to spend 20 minutes on, but can't. Verse 24. And at a lodging place on the way, 
Okay, so they're at a Holiday Inn on the way. They're going to Egypt, right? They're on their way. The Lord met him. I think this is uh, other passages to me would say that this is an angel of the Lord. On the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. (laughs) Do you not just go like, God, are you schizophrenic? Here you are up in the burning bush, you give him all this thing, and then he goes down and he's stepping out in faith. He's been doing all these things. He's taken care of his responsibilities. He's moved on your God and your God timetable. He's stepped out in faith and your strength. He's going to address the conflicts. He's prepared for that. And now you're going to kill him? Oh, time is my enemy today. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. Are you kind of like going even more freaked out? And touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. God did. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Okay. <laughs> um, this is one of the most uniquely discussed. This is a seminary passage, top 10 to study through. Number of reasons why. One of the reasons is because there is no ant- clear antecedent in it. What that means is, is who is doing the action of the verbs. And some decisions have to be made, and there's different viewpoints on this, okay, with this passage, because this is a very uniquely written passage. So let me, I, I, because of time, I've got to, I'm just going to tell you how I think this works, because I think it's really important. I think what happened here was is Eleazar was born after the return from the burning bush. Eleazar is born, and God had, now Moses had two sons. The first son, Gershom, was circumcised, and the second son, Eleazar, was not. In the time, in the covenant promise pattern, the way God had set out, Moses had not circumcised his son as God had said to do. And so on the way to Egypt, while Moses had overlooked it, maybe he was busy, uh, you know, overwhelmed with everything that's taking place. I, I don't know. We don't know. But I think what this text is telling us is on the way, God said, stop. Listen, Moses, if you're not going to take care of, as Chuck Swindoll calls, the locked closets in your life, then you're not going to do this deed. Listen, God does not need Moses. God does not need you and I. God in his grace has allowed us to be part of his family through Christ by receiving Christ as our Savior. And here Moses is trekking on his way to do this marvelous thing. And yet there's this one little area of action that he has not taken as a promised covenant before God. Because that act is a covenant that this child is yours, God. This family is about Yahweh. And this is the plan. And he has missed it. And on the way, God stops him and says, no. You may think this is a little thing that has to be done and you're letting it go. But I'm telling you, God speaking, this is a big deal to me. And I tell you, for me, this portion has been huge in my life this week. Sorry. Just in this passage, because it's this deal, folks. Listen, 
we so often can move ahead wanting to serve the Lord and do things for the Lord, and yet there are these little things in our life that are before God that He knows about, that we know about, and yet we justify them, pass by them, let them go, whatever, and God knows about it, and God takes it serious. And I don't know if there's some lock closet in your life, and I'm talking about areas of life where maybe there are things that we know we should not be doing that you're doing, or things that we know we should be doing that we're not doing. I'm not talking about perfection, but I am talking about there are things in our life where we can get so good at justifying, can't we? Guys, I have no idea. Maybe your lock closet is just involved in pornography. And let me tell you something. God knows. And I just want to call you out of it. I don't know if there's someone at work you're starting to get some thoughts about. And you're a married man or a married woman. Stop it. Maybe there's resentment and bitterness that you've just been harboring for a long time and you have not dealt with. Deal with it. If you need help, get some help. Here are the things you know you need to be doing that you're just not doing. I just want to call you this morning that this text right here is, I think, there to help remind us God takes a lot of things serious even if we pass it by. Man, can we be good at playing the game before God and others, can it? Hey, you're, you're the interactive service. True? And we want to be a church that's not about playing a game. We want to be a church that's about real, about being for Christ. And that means if there's areas in our life, I just want to call us all to the table and ask us, are there things that I need to address, conflicts in me that I need to address? And I want to encourage you to address them. Because God took it so serious with Moses, he was going to take him out. Oh, isn't that interesting passage? All this, and God's going to take him out. Well, let's finish. Verse 27, uh, I think part of this is just, I've kind of termed this as watch God work. You know, part of living out the mountaintop experience is just watch God. Just be in tune and watching God do his thing. Uh, verse 27, and we'll wrap it up. Then the Lord said to Aaron, uh, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. This is such an intriguing thing. Moses is over here in, well, on the map earlier, over here in Midian, and he's talk, God's talking to him. And then uh, Aaron's still up in Egypt, and God talks to him, and he's telling them both, Look, God is a big God working everything together. And if we're in Israel and the bombs come, God knows. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Uh, the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him in the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. What a campfire talk. You hadn't seen your brother for like 40 years. And you're around the camp, because that was no short walk, folks. From Sinai to Goshen is like 100 plus miles. Imagine those campfire talks. And Moses is telling him, and then, and then I was with the flock. And all of a sudden, this bush is burning. And dude, it was like incredible. You know, and they're, oh, oh, cool. Verse 29, then Moses and Aaron went, stepping out in faith. By the way, I think at this point, after the prior passage, 
I think Zipporah and the kids actually went back home because of the circumcision and didn't continue. That's why we don't see them until later on coming to Egypt. I think Zipporah took the kids back because of the circumcision, which should have happened earlier. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel, and Aaron spoke, burning bush, I'm not eloquent. Well, I think your brother is. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. I wonder if Moses was wishing he could speak a little bit more. And did the signs in the sight of the people. Remember those? Staff? The, the hand thing going on? Did the signs in the sight of the people and the people believed just like God said they would. And this next statement. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people. Hey, friends, may I just take that moment and remind us, the Lord has visited the people. Jesus Christ and the cross and the empty tomb. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Can you imagine Moses just sitting back and going, God, you are cool. And God's doing his stuff. Moses, is, I think, is in far more tune to staying on the course with the Lord than ever before. And God is doing some big stuff right here. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you so much for your word, just how fun it is to study. I thank you for how true it is, how uh, just real life it is. And Lord, I would pray for us that maybe one of these areas out of these seven that, that I've just happened to, to list today, just maybe one of these areas would be an area that we need to work on in our life. Maybe it's some responsibilities to take care of that we haven't honored you with. Maybe it's just being too proud and kind of stepping out too quick with things. Or maybe it's not stepping out and doing the, the things you've called us to do or doing it on our own strength. Or maybe I haven't been addressing some conflicts that have come up with some others or addressing conflicts in my own life. Or maybe it's just I haven't even taken time to sit back and see and acknowledge how you've worked in my life. Lord, you are alive. You are real. You are working and you don't need us. But I thank you that you have visited us. Thank you for the cross and the hope of forgiveness that it makes available to us. Lord, may we walk with you and enjoy and savor that journey of redemption. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's stand and let's mirror those Israelites in their worship. And we bow our hearts, we lift our hands, we turn our eyes to you again.